Welcome to the Living Undeterred Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Johnston, and today I have a special friend. We're going to have an awesome conversation today. I've been, I've been wanting to get Carson on my show for a while. I've been following him on social media. I'm, I'm in awe of what he's done at such a young age, far more than I ever did at that age. So we're going to talk a lot about being a young entrepreneur, the challenges that go with uh, running a company, the ups and downs, um, talk about some mental health concerns that we have as a society. And then I do want to spend some time talking about something close to my heart, Carson. I know I know you know where I'm going with this, but welcome to the show. I want to tell you, you are the youngest CEO and founder we've ever had on the podcast. <laughs> I am thrilled to uh, be on. Thanks for asking me to, to join, Jeff. Thanks. It's good to, it's you, good to catch up. Yeah, and I don't doubt I will have a lot to talk about because uh, we go back a long ways. Uh, for those that are uh, new to this podcast, um, I lost my oldest son, Seth, at the age of 23 from a heroin overdose. Carson was Seth's best friend through high school. And um, if I get a little emotional, I apologize. Um, it's kind of normal for me these stages. But uh, So I wanted to get Carson in here for a lot of reasons, but one was kind of that common bond we had. And I remember coaching you and Seth in, in basketball and, and the battles we had. And um, at some point during the hour conversation, Carson, I'd like to kind of get your input on maybe from your lens, from your perspective, uh, I, you know, mine's from the dad perspective, you know, but where, where are you from? Where are you at right now? Where are you living today? Um, I, well, for the last four years, I was in Chicago to, you know, growing the, growing the business kind of uh, through there. But when the pandemic hit, I moved back actually to uh, Cedar Rapids. How long have you been back then? A couple of years? Uh, literally since about a, about a year. Okay. Okay. And again, I, I, I mentioned you were an entrepreneur and a CEO and a founder. Uh, and at 27, I think, right? 28, yep, 27? That's okay. 27. Th that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this journey that you're on. And I want to definitely talk about fan food. Uh, I've been admiring watching you build this brand. Um, you guys are really good at marketing. Um, you do a super job of putting really good content out there. And Boy, when the pandemic hit, Carson, my heart went out for you. I'm thinking, man, what a what a tough time to be doing what this great idea you have with fan food, delivering, you know, at sporting events, you know, the experience where people can sit in their chairs and 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 watch the game and, and food is literally brought to them. And all of a sudden now you don't have fans in the stadium. And that I'm like, wow, you know, that that's a test of courage. You know, it's your first go at this. And here we here you go. <laughs> Welcome yeah, to the business right? world. <laughs> like, exactly. It was like, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're, you're like you feel like you, you you solve one problem, two more arise. You know what I mean? Right. And, and when that came up, it was just like, OK, I guess we're going another round in the boxing match because it's <laughs> like how many punches can one take? I mean, uh, yeah, when the pandemic hit, it was uh I mean, yeah, we, we were forced to get really creative, um, you know, aside from, you know, we had to make a lot of tough decision operationally, right? When your business does rely on large event gatherings and this kind of unforeseen event occurs, like, yes, we had to make a lot of tough decisions to our em employee base. But, you know, we, we pivoted into new markets and leveraged our technology to create a new business line that, you know... Um, I think in the long run has a lot of potential and, and one that allowed us to keep cash flow coming in. So, um, you know, to survive, survive it, you know, survive it out and come out on the other end. And the platform that we were building, yeah, we were excited about it pre pandemic, but 
in a post-pandemic wor world, um, you know, we you know we believe uh, with mobile ordering that that'll become the the kind of standard to help you know support social distancing initiatives as as venues do start to reopen. So I I, I saw your last podcast. And I thought, man, if there's anybody that embodies the living undeterred mindset, that's Carson, Carson Goodall. So I'm like, um, take me back to when the idea popped in your head. Take me back to, I want to be a fly on the wall when you guys are sitting around your dorm room or something. You're like, you know, hey, we got to think of this. We, we got this idea pops in your head. Take me back to that moment. Yeah, I was at the uh, University of Iowa my sophomore year at a bar with some of my buddies. Um, super crowded. Of course, of course. <laughs> of course, right? <laughs> Where else um, would you be? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I remember complaining to uh, some of my buddies. I said, you know, wouldn't it be great if I could order a drink off my phone and have a server bring it to me rather than us trying to navigate through the bar to try to get a drink? Um, what year was this? At the time, uh, 2014. Okay. Yep. Um, and so that was kind of the aha moment. We pivoted into sports because I felt as a sports fan, the biggest pain point was waiting 20 minutes in line for a hot dog and beer. Right. And that was the problem that we wanted to solve. And, and at the time, you know, um, with respect to on-demand ordering, you have um, in last mile, you know, delivery with uh, Grubhub, DoorDash, a lot of, a lot of competition on the, on the restaurant side and where the, I felt that there was a green field of opportunity was in sports, a uh, small mm -hmm. and medium sized business. Um, and, you know, there was POS, you know, point of sale uh, competition, but no one was really focused on that mobile ordering component. And so that's where we, you know, focused our time and attention. And uh, with my business partner and still co-founder today, we launched at his high school offering an express pickup lane. Um, mm -hmm. And this was right after I graduated college. So it took two years to get a, you know, a product up and running. Um, but once we did, we launched there, got some good uh, initial feedback from customers, enjoyed the experience, helped the concessionaire, uh, the booster club make a little bit more money for their fundraising initiative. And, uh, you know, I was uh, I didn't want to look back in five or 10 years and ask myself, what if I knew I knew someone was right. going to do this? I knew someone was. And so um, I wanted that, per you know, that someone to be me. So did you then design an, an app essentially? And did you kind of borrow some of the ideas from the existing programs that were out there? It seems like, you know, most most uh, businesses aren't really new ideas. They're just repolishing a mousetrap and, 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 and doing it differently. You know, um, mm -hmm. I mean, even even my company, I mean, you know, Premier Investments, you know, we didn't invent investments, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, but did, exactly. So you had some people out there. Who who were the big players out there in that industry? Uh, and you said it was mostly restaurants at the time. Yeah, yeah. Doing uh, so, Grubhub uh, had yeah, Grubhub. IPO'd in in 2012. So four years prior, um, their business model though is actually providing the labor to facilitate that last mile delivery. So hmm. if you order Grubhub from your home, you know. Uh, Grubhub is, you know, employing the people that are, you know, picking up that order from a restaurant and doing the delivery. Whereas, right. you know, our business model is a little bit different in that, you know, we tried the whole providing staffing component inside stadiums, but it's, it's very time intensive and doesn't scale as nicely when you're just trying to, you know, get your platform into the, you know, into as many venues as possible. That's kind of our approach as to how we think about it. So, so you come up with this idea, you go to your high school, you present it and word gets out that this is pretty cool. Um, it's a little bit ahead of its time. 
and then you probably had the presentation you had to make in front of your first, you know, actual actual sale, a, a big company or whatever. How'd that go? I mean, it, it, that, you know, it, getting the first one on was the challenge. But I think, you know, uh, part of the entrepreneurial journey is also comes down to uh, to raising funds, right? The cash to actually yep. do it. And so... Yep. Um, after that, and I was, you know, if I'm going to go full time with it, you know, our, our first, uh, fundraiser kind of launch party after that was with our family and friends. And so we rented out, uh, yeah, a Kinnick, uh, a sweet box, um, put a presentation together for all the family and friends, and then, uh, you know, put a business plan together and everything like that and presented, um, to, hmm. you know, with the intent to raise that initial capital. And then with that, we used, I mean, a lot of that funded a lot of the product development, right? So getting getting that product to where we felt we could actually start to, to sell it into other stadiums outside of just high schools, you know, like minor league teams and new sports complexes, things like that. And um, and from there, you know, I uh, you know, I was living in dad's basement for for seven months when I went full time with it. So you know, there's only so much time, you know, you can be in, you know, a basement. Uh, I, right. I transitioned to Chicago and that's where I think really the journey started to to begin. We, you know, we started to network with angel investors. So we raised money from angel investors. We did, we raised money uh, through an equity crowdfunding platform. Um, we raised, and then, you know, the next kind of phase is uh, a larger kind of institutional round of capital, start to hire a team um outside of your your good friends that are your co-founders you know you start to bring in yeah, yeah build a, a team start to surround yourself start to build out your departments and um uh execute really against the the go-to-market strategy and so um and i would say we really started to kind of grow in that 2018 2019 um and then you know the pandemic hit and we're just like ah yeah gosh. you know um what um, was your looked, major in funny what was your major in college? Finance. That's what I had too. Yeah. And and and, uh, um, and interestingly, my first internship was uh, at Premier Investments, and you're my. I boss. know. As a matter of fact, <laughs> Carson, I have to tell you, I I thought that you had been there more recently. I went back and looked at. I was going through researching you. I had to vet you to make sure you're legitimate for the show. I'm kidding. Um. But I, I went back and I found it. <laughs> I found a LinkedIn conversation you and I had, and it was in 15. So this was the year before Seth actually died. And I had thought you had, I thought you were at Premier after he passed away, but I guess that was prior. Mm -hmm. And so that really, for me, I went back to that moment when you were in the office and I got to thinking, you know, that was when I was kind of on top of the world. I mean, I, I was 50 or 49 years old. I mean, happily married, uh, three kids, you know, just everything going great. And, you know, we had a TV show, uh, radio, everything. And so you saw me kind of at the top of the mountain in my life. And then right after that, the, just the mountain crumbled and my whole life fell apart. And, you know, since then, um, you know, lost, lost a child, lost a marriage, um, you know, took a lot of time off from the career. And, um, and uh, now, I'm, now I'm back, you know, uh, reinventing myself there. So uh, where I was going with this, Carson, is you, you know, you kind of saw me at a time in my life where I didn't appreciate things. I didn't appreciate, I probably didn't even appreciate you being in the office that much because I was so focused on other things. And, 
you know, when I, when you, when you lose a son, lose a marriage, you know, lose your confidence, you lose everything you have and then you build it back up. Now you start to really appreciate relationships that, that you probably just took for, for advantage, for, took advantage of. And I look back in, in a lot of what I did during that time before he died. And, you know, I, I say this and I don't mean this to sound the way it probably will be taken by some people, but I'm a better man now than I was before when all this happened. And what I learned mm-hmm. was I could be a better man or a bitter man. That's mm-hmm. how I, that's how I started this living undeterred project and wrote the book and all this stuff. And I go back to, to you and it got me thinking the very first radio show we ever did, Carson, if this, this will make you feel good. So you had, you had COVID as your first welcome to the business world, young entrepreneur, right? We're mm-hmm. going to give you COVID. I, I had the March 9th of 09 was the year, the, the day I went to the first radio show, the premier investments of Iowa financial hour. That was the bottom of the freaking stock market. That was mm-hmm. when every company was crumbling and people are jumping out of buildings and tipping over cars. And here goes this, whatever it was at that age, you know, late thirties, you know, into the radio station, all excited, thinking I'm going to get my kneecaps cut off. And I made a conscious decision, Carson, on the way to the show that I was going to talk about life insurance, not stocks, not the market. And the first show was welcome to the premier investments of Iowa show. Today, we're going to talk about life insurance. And you can see the lights start lighting up on the call thing and everyone calling in wanted to talk about the stock market. But I, I figured, you know, if I'm going to be, in, if I'm going to really take advantage of this opportunity that the stock market gave me, what better time to come into a radio show than the middle of chaos. And I have to tell you, you know, Carson, in the long run, when you look back, I think COVID is the best thing that's probably could have ever happened to you to come into the business world, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that there's a silver lining. Um, professionally, it was difficult, but personally, there were some challenges too. I remember um, back when I was interning for you, I, I went on that, that the radio show with you. And I remember you you were interviewing me and you know, one of the questions I remember you asked, you said, you know, you, you studied finance, you're very interested in stocks and investing at a young age. And I'm talking about value investing. You're like, who was doing that? Right. And right. like, why, why are you so interested? And, and, and I said, you know, my, my, aside from, you know, you being a, a mentor, right. As my, pretty much my first boss and the kind mm-hmm. of seeing the real world experience said my uncle, my uncle, Greg. Right. And so, um, you know, during the pandemic, it was tough. I also, one of the reasons why I moved back is because I lost my uncle last year as well as my, uh, my grandma. So I'm um, personally, yeah. it's just a ton of, a ton of pain. And I, and I appreciate the fact that you said, you know, you, you chose when you responded, you know, how you responded versus you, you could be bitter or get better. And I think right. like similar approach to me is, you know, I, I think I initially after, you know, he passed resorted to probably certain habits that were not um, healthy, right? Such as alcohol and stuff. And, you know, and kind of going down that path, because it's like your business is crumbling despite everything that you're trying to do to get, you know, to keep it afloat and, you know, lead that company and be the leader that you need to be. But it's like, personally, you're, you're a mess because you lost your, your mentor, your, your life coach, the person that you get to see every day. And, it, it, it was just a challenge. And I think that, um, you know, after, and that was, for, I think the first time too, last year where I experienced, you know, we talk a lot about burnout. Yeah. Um, 
my uh and i'm grateful but uh for for this but you know my now but uh you know i i had to get some psychiatric help and i was i was very i was very you know depressed um and and about everything and and after you know i had to get checked in so i was in a hospital for for a few days and and i you know started to make the conscious decision of 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 getting better and not being bitter right and and Mm -hmm. i love that how how you say that and i started you know, practice, you know, became a morning person. Right. Um, and I just, and I, you know, started to, you know, get healthier, live healthier. Um, and I, and, and I, I agree I, with you. I think I'm the best, I'm the best I've ever, ever been too. And I didn't, I'll be quite honest with you. I didn't know that about you at all until I heard the podcast, uh, last week. And I, I immediately, once you said that you cracked open that door of vulnerability, I said, I got to get you on my show. I just, that immediately, <laughs> I could resonate with what you went through. I mean, I, I, I've been through, even before Seth passing away, I had very difficult periods professionally. We had times where, you know, we were the highest risk at, with the local bank in regards to the money that was loaned to us, our ability, were late payments. I mean, you know, we, we went through all this. I mean, I borrowed off every relative, you know, on my hands mm-hmm. and knees. And so, you know, begged for extensions on payments, called the IRS when I owed six figures in taxes one year, you know, in my 30s. So I, 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 when you said that, I thought, okay, part of, part of growing up is admitting vulnerability. And mm-hmm. at your age, to do that, when really no one really knew what was going on, I think resonates with millions of people, Carson. I think there's so many people going to watch this going, you know, every, you know, everyone looks at what I'm doing, but behind the scenes, I'm not happy. I mean, why do you think suicide rates are the highest they've ever been? Um, oh. uh, over overdoses are the highest. Have, when Seth died, there was like 56,000 deaths in the United States. There was 80 last year. I mean, we are the most unhappiest, un uh, at peace, worst well being country that America's ever been. Yet we know more about these things than we've ever known, and so there's a huge disconnect there. And I admire what you're doing, Carson. I, I, I think fan food is an awesome part of your story, but I think you have a bigger story to tell. I think when you get older and look back on your life, fan food will be one part of your success stories. Like Premier is just one part of mine. It was 30 years of my life, but it's certainly not going to be my legacy. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. was, it diffi- I, I, was it difficult to share these stories? Was, was it difficult to come out publicly and at least using the word depression and hospitalization and those are hard things to say. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's very hard. And I think I still have, uh, I still struggle to communicate it because I think I'm still fighting the good fight. Right. I think mm-hmm. you waking up every day and, and knowing that there's certain things that are out of, you know, out of your control and there's things right. that, you know, are within your control. Right. And right. it's like, in some days it's, you know, it's, just get it, get through the day, you know, like you take it, you know, sometime minute by minute, hour by hour, right. Afternoon to afternoon. Um, it, it, it remains a challenge. And I think that, um, and, and I think, you know, people are and coming from a, a background in the military, right? Oh, like having some, there is a, yeah. there is like a stigma of like, you know, not willing you know, just kind of uh, taking your emotions and just, uh, you know, shoving them down and not communicating. And like that, that resulted in me, uh, you know, getting hospitalized and not communicating when things were going right. So I think, um, 
you know, as I'm, you know, trying to communicate, it's, it's, I think it should be you know, overcoming your, your mental, uh, uh, illnesses is something that I think should be celebrated because it's probably one of the hardest things to, to overcome. If you, I'm if happy, you actually, I'm happy you brought that up, Carson, because their military background, can you tell the listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, I, uh, so uh, as a way, you know, to help, you know, pay for my college, I decided to enlist in the military, go through infantry school, um, in the National Guard. I enlisted in the Iowa Army National Guard, went to basic in AIT. Um, and then when I went to college, I joined the ROTC program. And when I graduated, I commissioned as a, uh, uh an officer in the United States Army Reserve as a finance officer. And so, um, yeah, during my studies, studying finance at the University of Iowa, I also minored in a leadership studies, ROTC kind of curriculum to learn how to become, you know, an officer and in, in, in the various, uh, you know, leadership skills that, that come with it. And that, you know, was instrumental in helping establish a business and adding structure. And a lot of the, the skills, soft skills that I learned um, were definitely, you know, um, instrumental in, in me, you know, getting to where I am today, but, you know, hopefully getting to where I want to be tomorrow. It's interesting how you worded that a little bit ago about the fact that you learned toughness actually kind of was the, the seed of your inability to deal with life's pressures when they got thrown at you. And I tell you what, man, there's a lot of truth to that. There's an illusion out there presented by uh, mainstream media that you need to get tough and get over it. And I, I call BS on that. Um, I think mm -hmm. what you need to do is you need to accept what happened to you and absorb it into your story going further. It's not 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 repressing it, not not um, burying it literally, but to say, you know, I was an alcoholic. I, I I'm I'm proud of the fact that I don't drink anymore, and it's part of my story. I'm I'm a grieving dad. I miss Seth immensely. I'm proud of Seth, but it's part of my story. I, I don't want to not talk about Seth. Um, you know, I, I had financial difficulties in my 30s. I don't want to hide that. It's part of my story. I considered suicide after Seth died. It's part of my story. I mean, but we don't want to do that, especially men. I mean, the highest, I came across this study, and it's, it's, it's amazing to me, but the highest year-over-year -year increase, uh, increase in um, uh, suicide in the country is white middle-aged men. And if you go back to think about it, aren't, aren't they kind of promoted as the you know, the, the strong father figures in society. And mm -hmm. that's a stigma that just needs to be uh, challenged and, and replaced with, with actually all stigmas are bad. But I go back to your mm -hmm. military experience, Carson. I think it's awesome they train you personal fortitude and get over it and all that. But I think as you get older, you realize that that's not always a healthy way to deal with things. Totally agree. And, it, you know, it's interesting too, like, there is a uh, um, in the in the veteran community. There is uh, 22. And, and suicide is a very high. Suicide rates are incredibly high and and unfortunately high in the veteran community. And I think the statistic is something to the tune of 22 um, veterans will commit suicide um, a day. Wow. Is where we're at. Um, and it's, it's, yeah. it's it's yeah, it's terribly sad. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's and much. I think, I think, um, you know, uh, again, some of the things I was writing down here for, for me, 
what are your coping mechanisms? Um, what are the things you said a morning person? I, I have become a morning person. I thought of myself always as a morning person, but for so many years I was, you know, hung over. And so I wasn't getting up really early. Um, and now that I get up, you know, now sleeping into me is like seven. That's like literally sleeping <laughs> in, which, you know, I enjoy the mornings, but that's one thing that I like that you said, what are some other coping me mechanisms that you implement, you know, day to day, week to week, you know, that get you through things? Yeah. I, so, um, when, whenever I have a, like a stressful event that happens or something that triggers where I like start to get stressed, there's a couple things I, I will either a, um, resort to a workout. So I have Peloton in the basement. Yep. Um, I go on a run, go walk. I don't care. Like go play basketball. You know, that's what Seth and I used to oh, I know. play <laughs> up until the early morning, late yeah. at night, playing yeah. in your driveway. Uh, still do um, play, play weekly. Um, you know, do some sort of activity or B. Um, I, I'll like meditate and I'll, I'll take deep breath and deep, deep awesome. breathing exercises. Yeah. And there's a certain kind of process. I, you know, I'm an app guy, obviously. So, you know, I have some apps to help guide me. I'm not like perfect, nor do I think I'm actually, I think I'm actually terrible at meditation still, but I'm like, you know, I practice the habit uh, of doing that. And, and it is, it, you know, it, it has been helpful. Um, whatever that stressful environment, whatever that was, I, I, I step away from it and kind of help that helps me take my mind off of, um, that event. And uh, like, so those are small things. Uh, I, I changed the way that I eat. Yeah. I think a coping, one of the health unhealthier things that I used to do was I snacked like at night, I'm a dessert. I'm a sweet tooth. I love sweet tooth. I still do, but I too much of it. And mm -hmm. so like now on Sundays, you know, we, my girlfriend and I, we, uh, prepare meals, you know, mm -hmm. for the, for the week, um, healthier eating habits. And I, I definitely think that there's something to the fact that, you know, drinking a gallon of water a day and, and eating healthier is like, you know, does have some, some mental health benefits to it. And I, you know, firmly believe that. So, um, it's like, if you're not doing those things, then you're not giving yourself the ample opportunity to get out of the dark place that you were in. And I believe that. So, yeah. I, I, I wish I had your wisdom back then because everything you just said, other than basketball, um, I, I didn't have a very healthy, a very healthy lifestyle for a long time. Now I was always a fairly good eater. I never had that problem. You know, I never ate a lot of mm -hmm. beef. It was Turkey. I didn't eat fast food. I don't like fried food. I don't eat cheese. And I've been that way my whole life. So that part, I didn't mm -hmm. have to like reinvent myself, but you know, the, uh, to me, and you mentioned meditation, man, I, I have a chapter in my book. Um, I, have you read the book yet, by the way? Yeah, of course I've read it. Yes. I thought you it. did. I was going to send you a copy. I thought you did. Um, matter of yeah. fact, you, prob you probably even sent me a note and I just forgot about it, but, uh, <laughs> I read. Um, I, I said that. I think I read it in two two days. I, I, I front to back, obviously. Yeah. And you so. saw the meditation. How much that me meant to me. And I never meditated till after he died. And mm -hmm. and um, meditation was big for me. Uh, just being around positive people, um, not people that are, you know, like motivational coaches and and life coaches. And, you know, I, I didn't. I didn't really need that. I, I had enough kind of internal motivation and you probably do too, but I just needed to be around people that weren't complaining about the election or weren't complaining about mm -hmm. uh, religion or complaining about 
what they saw on Fox News and just just toxic thoughts in my mind. And meditation really got me to just realize how 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 less of control we really have over our thoughts. And we need to just sit there and and admire them when they show up and then let them go away and don't judge them. You know, that was the main thing. I'd sit around and, you know, get sad about Seth and I'd go, well, maybe if I would have had a better father-son talk, he wouldn't have died. Or maybe if I would have done this and and I got to thinking, you know what, that's just a thought. That 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 doesn't even mm-hmm. exist in anyone else's brain other than mine. And so I'm just gonna let it go away. I'm not trying to make it go away because every thought naturally just runs its lifespan. And I kind of learned mm-hmm. that that's how I deal with my grief now is they're just thoughts. They're just, even if someone were to fender, bend, fender me, you know, that's an experience with a thought. But again, I can control, like you said, Carson, I can control the attitude I take, you know, mm-hmm. and that's important. Hey, we're at the half, halfway mark. I want to talk a little bit about Seth. Um, tell me something I didn't know about Seth. As a, I'm a dad now, so I only see Seth as a dad. But what are some things about him that, that you can recall? Man, he, that man was a, I mean, he was probably one of my like best friends, you know, growing up. Mm-hmm. And, and I think like when you ask yourself questions around grieving, like, you know, could you have done when I was in college? Right. And that's when we started to kind of go our, our, yeah. you know, separate ways. And I asked, a lot when he died, I was, you know, looking at, uh, you know, comments from uh, he had shared with me on Facebook and, you know, all, all, you know, stuff in the past. And I asked myself very similar questions, like as a friend, could I have done something? Could I have, you know, reached out sooner or hung out with him more often to kind of help steer him in the right direction? I I've, I asked myself a lot of those similar questions because it does. It's uh, it's sad, but I got to commend you on like kind of um you know, facing your, and this is something that too, like we talk about stress and anxiety and depression, stuff like dealing with your problems um, head on and, and incorporating it into your story and people listening to this, you know, if I'm going through addiction problems, Mm -hmm. one, you might save one person. Right. And like, I would define that, you know, as a, as a success. And so, but yeah, I mean, (laughs) growing up, Seth was the clown. (laughs) We joked all the time. We, We joked all the time. I could tell you that uh, my first uh, uh, relationship, my first kiss happened at, at your house. I don't want to hear this part. <laughs> Is mom listening to this? <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, oh man. I'm uh, but no, I mean, I, I mean, university of Iowa basketball camps. I mean, I we, we attended those. Um, I remember, uh, I mean, you guys were big, uh, university of Iowa basketball, Mm -hmm. uh, fans, my grandpa, right. Flew, flew the team back, back when Tom Davis, you know, and stuff was coaching. So he kind of had, you know, that hookup with the the court side tickets and stuff. So I remember countless games growing up where, and tailgates where we would go, um, together. And Mm -hmm. it's like these memories that will always, you know, you know, be with me. And, and, and what I do remember of Seth is, is, you know, a lot of the, the positive, like just the, he always made me feel, you know, good. I mean, we just, I, all my memories with them, we just always had a great time together. And I remember a lot of, um, 
you know, basketball and, 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 and joking and, and throughout the day in school. And it's just, those are like, I remember the positive, the positive things, you know? Um, so it's just, yeah, it, it's heartbreaking to see, go down the addiction path um, and see what, you know, how that, how it ended up. And I just, and I, I got to say, it's like, it's something that I was going down too after Greg died. You know, I have ADHD. I know you do too. I do too. <laughs> uh, and I was on, I was on uh, you know, I was on Adderall or, you know, that, yeah. you know, prescription took too much. And that's yeah. a very, a very, a, a very addictive drug. And yeah. You know, taking anti-anxiety medicine, medicine and anti-depression, you know, depression medicine and all of that. And that's what, that's what led, you know, you know, and I was kind of going down that, that path and to a point where it's like, this is not, you know, and, and I, and it's sad to say, but, you know, part of me to see what, how Seth, how that, you know, how that happened, I didn't want to happen to me. Yeah. And, and, and I recognize that early enough, granted, I still ended up, you know, getting some psychiatric help and a hot, but it, it's because that I didn't want that addiction to take over my life. And so I wanted to, to, and I cut everything cold Turkey. And this sounds like, you know, what similar to you did, you, you quit the, you know, drinking and alcoholism and stuff like that, cut it out of my life, cold Turkey and, and wanted to, to be better. Right. And so like, you know, it, it, Seth gave me that, you know, strength to, to be able to, to do that and, and to, to continue to talk about it even today, it's, it takes a lot. And so well, I, I just, I know Seth's looking up and, and, and has my back and so I know he's looking at and, and supporting and that, that, that gives me, um, you know, peace. So, well, he's awful proud of you, man. Yeah. Yeah, people ask me what my what my why is, you know, and I'm like, my why is pretty simple at this point. I mean, I just want to help kids make better choices. That's all I want to do. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I just um, the fact that he was just robbed of so much life and he was robbed of his brothers and his daughter and, um, you know, these things that uh, I just got to find a way to not get hung up on even using the word robbed and more that we are presented as an opportunity to better ourselves like, like you have done and, and not to have fallbacks. I mean, shit, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a fist fight too for me and people see the image I'm promoting and like, I'm, you know, I think I had someone one time tell me where well, I'm not you, Jeff, I'm not Teflon. And I'm like, dude, you didn't see me two nights ago on my fricking floor balling my head off, you know, at two in the morning, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, it's tough, but, that's why I do this show. That's why I do this project I'm on. It's like, you know, I'm not motivated by money, which is such a blessing to not have to worry about likes and followers and people buying. I've never looked how many books I've sold. I, I never will. I don't, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Obviously I can tell more people if people subscribe to my YouTube channel, hint, hint, and like things and all that stuff. And I'll play the, the, you know, algorithm game, but that, that stuff doesn't interest me. Just hearing what you said about Seth, you know, just, um, Cause you know, I don't, I know it's hard to explain. I don't want to get too hung up on this, but, um, there is definitely people right now that are either going to go through this as a child, like they're 14 and 15 and, or their parents, they're going to get that call. Like I got it six 30 in the morning on October 4th, 2016 that, you know, he was dead in the hotel room. But you know, Carson, the sad thing about Seth is when he got out of prison, 
he actually looked good and was doing really good. And, um, you know, we, we thought this was it. That was his, his rock bottom was incarceration, you know, and he, I mean, his complexion looked good. He, he had abs and he just looked the healthiest he's ever been. And then within 60 days, that addiction just, you know, just pulled him right back in. And the rumor has it that he, you know, he had met somebody that kind of was into this stuff. And I think recreationally, based on the needle marks they found that, you know, he wasn't a heroin addict. He was just an addict, you know, and, and, um, if I can get one kid that can hear this and says, gosh, you know, I, I got drunk last night or I did vaping or I did marijuana and I want to go out to a party next week. If they can just say, no, I'm, I'm going to step back and, uh, I'm going to revisit the direction I'm on, you know, choose a different road. Then, you know, this is all worth it. Um, for me, totally you know, agree. Um, totally but I, and it, I, I go ahead. Sorry. Same, like same thing, you know, like with, with how, you know, my uncle passed away, you know, Carson, thought, I'm going to stop you there. I, I, I don't think I ever met him. Do you mind spending a few minutes? Uh, Greg, right? Yeah. I, I saw the post you made and I understood how impactful he was in your life. Do you mind spending a few minutes about, about him and how impactful he was to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was my, he was my role model. I mean, similar to, similar to you. I mean, like you guys, they both had a, you know, he was funny, well-respected, very smart, successful, had built a very successful career, uh, um, in the, in the financial industry. Um, and, uh, he got sick. He got, he got oh. depressed moved back home. Um, and you know, he had, uh, you know, and, and when he, when he passed away, we, you know, we kind of got some, you know, hints that he was, you know, getting, getting sick again. But, uh, you know, I don't think that, I think we were too, uh, afraid to kind of address it, uh, mm -hmm. head on mm -hmm. and really talk about it. And, um, you know, unfortunately that's kind of even like with Seth, it just, it's a, it's a dark, dark path that you can come out of nowhere. And I think right. that's what I appreciate about everything that you're doing is because the easy route is to kind of get, you know, do unhealthy things. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that the harder thing to do, and this was one of my biggest problems, um, you know, is, is being present, like living your day, day to day. And like, and um, the harder thing to do is to say no. The harder thing, you know what I mean? And I right. think like, that's where, you know, I, um, talking about this and, and, and living and, and, you know, sharing these stories is what makes it so important because, you know, Greg was hard on me, right? He was, he was the, you know, the, the guy that could get any girl in the, in the bar. And he was the one that I smoked my first cigar with. And, yeah. and when he, and when he, when we had that family and friends round, you see this, this up here, right next to this cactus, yeah. it's a check. Um, and, and during that family and friends around here, he wrote me a thousand bucks and in the memo, in the memo, it, he put bye-bye and he gave it to me and he goes, I'm never seeing this money again because you're starting <laughs> public right? And that, and that, God, that pissed me off. I love so that. Much. That's awesome. <laughs> that pissed me off so much. And it motivated me, you know, I wanted to prove him wrong. You know, I right. looked, I was like, you know, I look forward to the day where I can give him a 10 X or a hundred X right. return on that investment. Absolutely. And the sad thing is like, I'm never going to get that opportunity. Yeah. You know, so, you know, how can, you know, and, th and that, that, that was tough for me to, to, 
to deal with, right? Like, yeah. um, no matter how successful fan food will be, I, I won't, I won't get to ever prove him wrong, right? Um, I know, I know exactly what you're saying. Yep, yeah, but um, you, you will though, Carson. You will in a different way. In a different way, and I think yeah. it goes back to, um, and I think you, you said it too earlier. It's like. You know, I'm not driven, you know, obviously there is, there's a piece of me and I think a lot of people want to be financially free, but it's, you know, success in my mind isn't a function of how much money you get. It's how many, how, you know, how many lives can you impact? Right. Mm -hmm. And if, if you increase that number, then that's where I feel like you're, you're more successful in that regard. And it's so, and if it, telling these stories, um, and using, using them as a, as a strength, you know, then I think, um, it, it, you know, could save a person, right. Who, yeah. who might be going a, a darker path. And, um, and I, you know, if one person, is, we save one person, then I would say it's worth it. This was a successful podcast recording. Right. You know, it, there's a, so many people today that the social media benefits are huge. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be doing any of this right now. Um, and I'm meeting some just absolute heroic people every day, especially on LinkedIn. That kind of be, that's kind of where I'm, I'm not kidding. You. It's five to 10 new contacts a day that I'm talking about are really good contacts. These are people that could potentially be lifelong friends of mine that are embracing the journey. I'm embracing their journey. And, um, but that's great. But here's one of the problems with social media is the, the, the idea of say like imposter syndrome, um, mm -hmm. how, how we sit there and watch everyone else posting their great successes and their launchings and their, you know, ribbon cuttings and their, you know, marriages mm -hmm. and, and as you sit back and maybe you're going through COVID or I'm going through a you know, divorce or bearing a child and all I see is everyone's graduation pictures. I mean, you have to go into social media knowing that there's going to be things probably every day that somebody's going to be doing better than you. And what one thing I learned, Carson, through meditation is this idea called meta meditation, M-E-T-T-A. It's meta mindfulness. And it's where you hmm. genuinely are happy for other people. And in my meditation practice, I practice meta meditation sometimes where you think of somebody you don't like. So think of an adversary in business that came in and undercut you or somebody who denied a loan or somebody who uh, just didn't like you on social media or, or at, a, at a gathering. And you think about that person and you think kind thoughts to them. You close your eyes and you think, I wish you happiness today, you know, whatever, you did at that day that felt you needed to do to me, I forgive you for that. And there's something about going through your life, being genuinely happy when other people do things better than you. And instead of hmm. sitting around and self-loathing, God, I just, you know, I thought I was doing good, but there's somebody doing better than living undeterred. You know, I'm going to quit. You know, instead of mm -hmm. me doing that, I can say, you know what? I want to call that guy up and introduce myself and together we can do more than either one of us could do by ourselves. Hmm, that type that. of mindset. And yeah. so, yeah, do I, am I, I'm a competitor just like you. I saw you play basketball. You were a freaking competitor. <laughs> you had no problem getting fouls in games. I'll tell you that. <laughs> he calls me out. I know he said, how many fouls does Carson have? <laughs> you know, two nope. minutes into the game. <laughs> four, four fouls, not even halftime yet. Oh boy. <laughs> but they're all you know, they were all effort fouls. They were never lazy fouls. It was, you know, going over the back or something you were doing. But no, I go back, I, I go back to, uh, 
to wishing other people happiness. And I think if, if we found a way as sentient beings to look at other people's success and, and if you do have jealousy or envy, use it in a constructive way to make your life better, not to mm -hmm. wish bad things in other people. So now when I see a post on social media, I, I jump out. I'm one of the first ones to compliment maybe somebody that's copying or doing what I'm doing. Maybe someone that has a book that is the same story I have. I'll go jump on and support them because that's the only way you're going to get through life without being a miserable human being and living, you know, in spite of everyone else's. There's always going to be someone better looking. Mm -hmm. I know, Carson, it's tough for you to imagine that, but there's going to be someone better looking, <laughs> um, you know, more successful, faster car, better looking spouse. I mean, it's just it goes on forever. And if you don't mm -hmm. really fall into that trap, your life becomes so much more at peace. You know? Yeah. I, I was, I read, I watched this video and they said something about like, you know, miserable, miserable people. Life feels like it's going to go on for a long time. And, and people who are joyous, it goes by in a, you know, in a flash. Yeah. yeah. Right. So right. Like it's, I thought that was kind of interesting because I, you know, I agree. I agree. I, and I'm, you know, I think it's, it's easy to get angry. It's easy to get jealous and upset about certain things or have an opinion about this or that. But uh, that's kind of like what you're preaching, right? This whole notion of living undeterred is like, you know, being grateful, right? And appreciative for everything that you can and around you and, and, and having peace in that. And I think that's um, why I, uh, I resonate with your mission and your purpose so much. So yeah, and the, the two you know, when I wrote the book, I decided that, um, you know, the cover, the cover looks dramatic with Seth's arms up. And, you know, that's an actual rainbow that we took. That was on our front porch at Swisher. And mm. Seth's, Seth's back was facing the mailbox, if you remember. Really? And that's yeah. a that rainbow was actually kind of colored. It actually was there. It just wasn't that bright in the real picture. And there's mm -hmm. this dorky looking face. And, you know, I guess when people look at that, they think, oh, wow, this is going to be a sad sob story. And you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to read it. And I've got friends of mine that have actually got the book and they've told me they haven't read it yet. Mm -hmm. And it is an inspirational book. I wrote it. I wrote it when I, my thought was I wanted people to put the book down and then walk down the hallway, open up the door of their kids' bedrooms and walk in there and kiss them on the, on the cheek and whisper, mm -hmm. I love you. And then go back out. Or when your parents call and it's late and they say, Hey, give me a call. Instead of saying, I'll call you in the morning or don't answer it because you don't just freaking call them, talk to them. Maybe the last time you ever see them again and mm. embracing impermanence is, is a concept that I, 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 um, I think more people should look at employing in their life. And that's the idea that impermanence is nothing lasts forever. Um, you know, our conversation is going to end here in 15, 20 minutes. Um, you know, uh, I will get a call shortly that somebody that I know passed away. Um, it's like a game of Frogger every day. You're just dodging, you know, logs and cars coming down the highway. And if you understand that everything, everything has a lifespan, everything mm -hmm. will die. Memories, mm -hmm. relationships, businesses. I mean, nothing's permanent. And if you think about that, then you run through life really respecting conversations and you really have gratitude towards mm -hmm. even people that you're not overly happy with, that you are upset with, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, there's, there's going to be a day when that person won't be here and, um, having somebody like Greg or Seth removed from your life really 
brings home the importance of gratitude. Totally. You know? And I, and I appreciate the section in your book where you talk about the growth, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Mindset. When you, when someone or an individual goes through these experiences mm-hmm. and I, and that was kind of when I read that piece in your book, that's when I really started to become a lot more intentional about what am I doing now? Address my emotions, right. and my feelings head on. And what, like, where do I want to be? What do I need to do to, to get to that point? And that's when I really started to establish a more intentional thought process about, you know, putting myself actually first mm-hmm. for the first time. You know what I mean? Putting mm-hmm. my, putting my feelings and emotions first, putting my health first, prioritizing things that are important to my life and not, you know, flooding my entire life with, you know, things that, uh, like business, right. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's tough when you try to start your own business as an entrepreneur is that that whole notion of work-life balance and being able to separate professional and personal, right. Very, very tough to do when that's your baby. Um, but going through, you know, you can, you know, that whole kind of grieving process, it's, you know, I really was intentional about adopting that a growth mindset. I read every single day. I'm intentional about that. I'm, in, I'm intentional about that. Um, I want to learn. I'm, I'm a lifelong learner and I will continue to continue to do that, but I have to be intentional about it because if I don't, I'm ADD, you know, I'll, I'll forget. <laughs> Something will come up and I, but there's, there's certain things that I'm, I'm very intentional about every day because I want to be better every single day. Mm-hmm. So, so Carson, I want to ask you about the word intentional because I absolutely love that word um, because you can have all these habits and you can have all these things, but, or you can even have, um, you know, an, an idea, but, but there isn't intention behind it. So when you said that word, what did you mean by that? It feels like everything I do, I, it's, I wake up every morning and, and I set my intentions. That's one, like one of the first things I do. I look at my calendar, look at my day, look at what I want to accomplish and how I want to prioritize my time. And, and when I said I'm intentional, you know, I know that I, I want to be better every day. I want to continue to learn mm-hmm. every better. And I'm, and I'm, and I don't know everything. I don't act like I know everything. Um, mm-hmm. And so how do I, how do I accomplish that? How do I accomplish those goals? And I think that um, it starts with, you know, setting those intentions, writing things down. Right. Yeah. Um, I do. I like, I try to accomplish because it's like, you know, um, there's just so many, and I'm, I'm a big, like, you know, I write, I write all my to do's and stuff down and, and I, I too. and I, if I don't know, you know, can slip through the cracks, but it just, it, it helps me get structured with my day and, um, and helps, um, you know, yeah, just, just helps me. Yeah. You know, one thing that I learned as a, as an owner of a company, you know, I started at 23, so I can definitely relate to what you're going through was that I didn't take enough time to enjoy the successes. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I didn't take enough time to see the fruits of my labor to take a random staff person out to lunch for no reason, not to give them a raise, not to tell them to work harder, but ask them maybe how their parents are doing or, you know, um, mm-hmm. whatever is going on in their life. And, and I think I, I lost a lot of my, my life's enjoyment by simply just not understanding that I had all these goals, but I never had any times where I just got off track 
and just enjoyed it. You know, sitting back on gazing back at the company, watching everyone work and have beaming with pride. I was always out trying to find more ways to make money. I was always out trying to find more clients and do another marketing idea. And I think being able as a business owner, even in the early stages, even the fundraising stages, you, you get a thousand dollar check from, from your uncle. That, that's something to go out and celebrate, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that, that's big because pretty soon that's a hundred thousand dollar check, you know? And, mm -hmm. And I think that's a lesson I would give to any any young person starting a, a, it doesn't have to be a business, it could be starting a job anywhere that you're involved in creating. Enjoy, take time. You're gonna have plenty of times to not enjoy. Yes. <laughs> you know, the failures will be more than, than the successes. So don't, don't worry about that. You're gonna have plenty of time to grieve, <clears throat> but make sure you find time to enjoy the, the times when, when you do have a good moment, you know? Yeah, I, I and I appreciate the reminder too because even still, like, I'm I'm always you know I still I feel like that I'm always trying to figure out okay like how do we continue to grow 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 you know first time mm -hmm. business owner so obviously like I'm just trying to go from you know want to make as much revenue as possible right you close a deal right. and it's you know it's okay what's what's next what's next right what's next and you know right. it's um enjoy being in going back to being intentional being intentional about enjoying your wins is is something mm -hmm. that i i definitely we i think we can all do a, definitely a better better job of that for sure well let's spend the last few minutes being intentional let's talk about fan food tell me where you guys are going uh what kind of the 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 covid plan b attack you guys have and um and how can people find out more about you guys? Yeah, well, you can find out more by visiting fanfoodapp.com. Uh, you can find, we're on every social media from Twitter, uh, fanfood on demand to LinkedIn. You can Google fanfood, you'll find it. Um, pretty easy to to follow the follow the journey. Um, today, we're in over 300 venues across the country, um, mm -hmm. and you know we're we're really we're really exciting time because. Um, venues and stuff are looking for solutions that help support social distancing uh, initiatives. You know, one of the trends pre pandemic was how do we how do venues go cashless because there's certain you know benefits of taking a venue completely cashless, right? Yeah. Um, and so you know, that's something that we've been preaching on. And so now it's just, you know, redefining the fan experience means making fans feel comfortable, feel safe in that environment as venues do open up. And uh, you know, I mean, we're excited because we've been building a platform for the last six years that that does just that. And so, um, you know, we're, we're executing some some partnerships that I think will be pretty transformational for the business. And um, we're definitely smarter. Um, one of the hardest things in the pandemic was we had to lay off 50 percent of our staff. Um, I bet that was that was very hard to do uh, as a first time business owner. Um, you know, as we think about growing the business, we're going to be a lot more intentional about yeah. you know, bringing the right people on at the right time yeah. and adding value. And it's going to be a lot more thoughtful as opposed to, hey, we got to do it right now. You know, mm -hmm. um, so we're going to be a lot smarter. And I think we we learned some some great you know lessons, like the importance of not just prioritizing top line revenue growth but right. uh to really build a profitable and sustainable business because people's livelihoods you know matter um the team matters and 
if I learned anything, you can't get to where you want to go without a team, period. Like, right. um, yep. it doesn't matter, right? Uh, you, yep. you, can't, you can't scale hustle, no matter how hard you hustle. Um, and so, yeah. you know, I think this pandemic accelerated my uh, growing up, as you put it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm really excited about the future of fan food. Um, I think that from, from our perspective, it's, you know, how do we, you know, today it's, you can order F and B from your seat tomorrow. It's being able to book your parking, you know, order your tickets, purchase consent own you know, that entire kind of digital journey and being a one-stop shop solution, value add partner for venues. That's kind of how we, you know, want to be, or how, you know, we're thinking about doing that. So how many, uh, how many owners are there at fan food? Um, so there's there's myself and there's two other co-founders. Um, we probably have thirty or so investors, thirty or forty okay. investors. Forty would be a lot. Yeah, thirty to forty. Are you guys still in the fundraising stages of your business? Are you guys? So we're in the process of closing out a uh, a round of funding right now. That should uh, give us, you know. A pretty good significant amount of capital well, i'm sure we'll the we'll we'll announce it you know later this later this year but um yeah how's the how's the how's the uh fundraising experience been um you know in regards to you mentioned angel investors you know maybe private equity mm-hmm. um you know i mean has there been now you're when you're in chicago am i guessing there's probably a plenty of opportunities you know and just because you're here back in Cedar Rapids doesn't mean you don't have the connections back in Chicago. But is it fairly easy for a startup to? Okay, it's it's incredibly difficult. It's you know it's one thing to go sell your your platform to you know a you know a venue or a customer, right? It's one that right. that's an interesting sales process. But it's another when you try to go sell your entire business and pitch why why us as the the founding group, which it's. You know, candidly, I went to a public, you know, University of Iowa, so a non, you know, kind of accredited institution. I didn't go to Harvard. I didn't go to Yale. Right. You know, I'm a first time entrepreneur um, trying to start a technology company with no technology skills. I mean, it's the the odds are kind of stacked up against you. And, yeah. And, I've probably pitched. Yeah, there you're right. In Chicago, there there's a lot of oper- there's a lot of money, a lot of you know, wealthy individuals, a lot of venture capital groups, private equity. Um, but I can tell you, I've probably been rejected easily over a hundred times for various reasons. Yeah. So the it's the the marketplace is too crowded, there's too many people right. doing, you know, you know, someone's gonna copy you with more money, with smarter team, um, better capitalized and do what you're doing, but you know, there's always a reason. And I think something that, um, but, you know, and I think that's, uh, you know, I've, especially during the pandemic, just kind of doubled down on my convictions in the company and everything it stands for, because it's, uh, you know, just delivering that much more value. And um, it's hard, right? And I think that's, you know, some of the skills that I've developed (laughs) getting rejected a hundred times is is developing that persistence to, to keep going. And, and get it to that next level. And, and it's not like it's, it's no right now, but that doesn't mean that I'm closing the, the, the doors. Right. So it's like every time I've always, every no I've gotten, I was very intentional about getting feedback, like why, and then at what point, you know, 
do I have to hit to come back to you and prove it? You know, and there's whether that's revenue right. milestones or getting your product to where it needs to be or having X amount of customers. There's always something that, you know, I was like, okay, this is where we need to go. And, um, I mean, that's what we, that's what we've been. Yeah. That's what we do, but there's, yeah. So it's very challenging. It's not a fun process by any means. Right. Um, but it's a necessary evil. So one thing I, I was curious uh, to talk to you about, and I know we only got, we're a little over an hour. That's fine. Um, is uh, in regards to technology, you said you had a great idea with no technology background. So did you just go out and find uh, people that literally design apps? Yes. I mean, is that um, what you did? One of, uh, there's a professor um, who's at the University of Iowa who had a, a team, uh, a development team um, in Vietnam. And so, you know, we were able to put some wireframes. I mean, I had the, you know, the, the idea of putting the wireframes and I knew kind of what I wanted the look and feel to look like. So we, we had someone translate that into what the, you know, the, I had one of my buddies who was in marketing also went to Prairie. It was also friends with Seth. I asked, Hey, can you help me kind of bring this idea to life? He brought it, you know, help bring it to life. We, we partnered up with the professor who kind of gave us the overseas development in order to kind of keep costs low. And then my dad, as you know, Grant, he's kind of mm -hmm. uh, built and exited. So he was a website developer back in the nineties, had his own, you know, website business. Yeah. And then, uh, yep. He had this the, a town wild, which is like the Groupon for Cedar Rapids. So he, you know, he had some software businesses that he had started on the side, and he helped um, develop the architecture and the and the you know in the in the foundation for the and helped kind of product manage these over you know the you know Vietnam team in the early days to get that the product up off the off the ground. So you had to pretty much build the product first, and then uh, before you even pitched it, you had to build the product first or did you pitch the idea and then build the product later? I, I had a, a presentation <laughs> of what I wanted the product to look like. And for me, that was enough to start selling it. Um, wasn't built yet, but we, I was kind of running in parallel with the two at the same. Yeah. 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 No, I'm, I'm always interested maybe off the, sometime you and I can talk about it, but I'm always interested in, um, cause you know, when we built our business back in 1989, you know, there was no cell phones. The cell phones were the size of a, you know, a, a travel bag. Um, you know, there was no internet. Um, you know, we had typewriters with whiteout. Uh, we had dot matrix printers, which you had to rip apart and tear off the sides. And so, you know, we just, we just walked around, knocked on doors and sold, you know, retirement ideas. It was very, very difficult. Um, probably a hundred hour weeks for a decade. I'd have to say, I mean, I waited till I was 35 to get even married because mm -hmm. I was working so hard to build up the investment company. But today you can, you can do things so quickly. What took me 15, 10 years to build organically by nail, you know, you guys now can, I say you guys, I mean, your generation, you guys can do what we did in, in, in six months now, if not quicker. Yeah. So the velocity, the velocity of growth in business now is great, but the problem is your competitors can go just as quick too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're not really trying to reinvent the wheel or a better mousetrap constantly and you have a good idea, but you just don't go on it quick enough or you, you get the right, you know, venture capitalist person to give you some money, your idea is gone that quickly. Mm. So, you know, even though you guys have a lot more than we did, you also have more people know about more things too. <laughs> exactly. It's hard to keep a secret, you know? Yeah. 
I think so, but it's, you know, it's you know, the, the proof is in the pudding at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. a lot of people have ideas. If I had a dollar for every time someone said, oh, I had that same idea you had about delivering concessions to a seat, I, I, I wouldn't have to worry about cash ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a great point. Um, it's a great point, but there is still, there is still the, the testament to like, having the the grittiness to go out and actually execute it and you know bring it to life and i think that's something right. that a lot of people um there's that like and, and and this is something i think that's you know with founders too there is a there's a delta there in in effort right like some and when you're a founder you're, you're passionate about what you're doing you are willing to go above and beyond and and sometimes that you know is is the difference of getting the deal or not, or, right. Right. Or that extra or saving someone else's life with this podcast, like that extra mm-hmm. effort that you go in to make it that much better, um, is what ultimately goes into that, your brand, you know? And I, right. and I would like to hope that me being vulnerable as tough as it is comes, you know, um, helps fan food in some regards, you know, by showing that yeah, we are an authentic brand. And I hope that that right. comes across, I, I, you know, so yeah. I think that's a good point because I think a lot of, uh, public people, um, you know, uh, business owners, politicians, they want people to think they are almost robotic and we're not, we're human beings. I mean, you know, mm-hmm we're all pretty similar. You know, we, when you undress us, we're all pretty similar. I mean, even totally. undress us internally, just get into who we are. We all have the same similar hopes, dreams, and fears, but Hey, listen, it's been, it's been great to catch up. Um, yeah. I'm excited to get this out there because I think, um, the combination of our stories and the, the, um, the fact that, you know, we go back a long ways and, mm-hmm. and you grew up with, with Seth. And I think that adds a lot of, um, credibility for me. And I'm, I'm very just, uh, in awe of watching you grow what you're doing and um, even more in awe of the fact that you talked about some of the challenges you had because um, like I said it's easy for people just to um, hide behind hide behind that and uh, you know I think that's when people start to struggle when you don't open up so yeah and that was you know we're gonna challenges right and I and I like yeah. to, to it gives me peace knowing that like it like like that Seth experience, he was, yeah, one of my best friends. And I, I like to, I like to uh, imagine that he, that enables me or gives me the strength to be able to continue to share his story, share our right story mm-hmm. in hopes that it, 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 it helps someone other, some other person that's going through a dark time. So it's interesting. Cause I remember when Seth started his struggles, uh, it was at 15 or 16 when he did Adderall. That was the beginning of, of his end was Adderall for ADD, unfortunately. And um, when I was watching him just unravel, I got to thinking when I would see posts about your graduation and, and um, you know, Mit, uh, Mitchell Wagner and, and Matt McDougal and all these people, I got to thinking, you know, I wonder what Seth's um, experience meant to you guys. If it, if it actually just slapped you in the face a few times, woke you up. Um, some of you guys were on different paths at that time when, when Seth was going through it. Cause Seth had eight years of this problem. People, I say he died at 23 and they're like, well, at 22, he must've been, you know, fine. Well, no, from, 
15 to 16 all the way to 23 we battled this as a family and he battled it internally so yeah you know the the ending was what it was but but you know he just kind of morphed into this this creature that we just didn't know at the end you know other than the fact that he had rehabbed a little bit the last eight years he just kind of slowly evolved into something else and i always thought carson in the back of my head how much is this positively affecting you guys and i know one of his close friends and i won't mention his name but you know, a couple of them have had some issues with things like this. They kind of went down the same road Seth went. And thank, thankfully, they're still alive, which trumps everything. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. any problem you have isn't as bad as being dead. So totally. um, I tell all those kids that are maybe not, you know, looking at you saying, wow, Carson did well. I didn't. It's like, you know, but you're still alive. Seth's not. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're doing better than Seth. Yeah. You know, no matter how bad you think your life is, you're better than anyone that's not here. So... I guess there is some way to put a, a bow tie on this, you know, and find something positive. But, hey, yeah. I enjoy this. This was great catching up. Say hi to your mom and dad. I'm sure they're going to see the podcast. I'm and um, you're doing a great job, man. You're doing a really good job. Thank you. I'm trying. I'm trying. It'd be great to well, get some lunch sometime. I will. I'll, I'll, I will, uh, I'll spearhead that. But uh, well, keep living undeterred, brother. Thanks, Jeff.